I'm drawing your attention tonight to the book of Psalms, chapter 12. To the chief musician upon Shemineth, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. (laughs) The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them. From this generation forever, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. I'm going to preach to you a little bit tonight, preserving the faithful. Now, I need to tell you that I'm just a little sick and tired of the enemy trying to get the church to crawl back into her shell and to be silent to be intimidated come on somebody help me right here I'm a little bit weary with those that would have us to compromise who we are and what we are to make us feel senseless and stupid but I've got a feeling that God's got another plan if somebody will just get hold of what I'm about to tell you tonight God's got a plan to send a mighty move of his spirit through this land and it's going to happen to those who refuse to compromise truth, who refuse to compromise holiness, who refuse to compromise righteousness, who refuse to compromise separation. Come on, somebody help me right here. You may be seated. This psalm is another one where there isn't a clear event in the life of David that is pointed to. Some scholars seem to think that it is one where he's faced deceit and dishonesty 
in his court after he was king. In fact, from historical study, we could derive the fact that he probably had to deal with more deception and dishonesty than we could even imagine. Our world today is filled with liars, false flatterers, and there are times that the righteous hardly know who to trust. Psalms 12 continues with the similar themes that Psalm 10 and 11 have. Psalms 10, the wicked use their words to boast and sneer. Psalm 11, the wicked use their words to tear down the moral and social formations of society. And Psalms 12, the wicked use their words on dishonesty and flattery to get what they want. I hope you're picking up on the pattern here through all of these psalms. God is pretty serious about what I say and whether or not I'm using my words to edify or to destroy. I'm going to take you a couple places tonight and then I'll try to preach to you a little bit. From the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 26. Solomon knew about flattery. Listen to me when I tell you, flattery will get you nowhere with God. Twenty-six and twenty-eight. The Bible says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. There's some folk that know how to twist this gospel. Know how to twist this message. Twenty-eight and twenty-three. Just stay with me. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. And then twenty-nine and five. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In the transgression of an evil man there is a snare, but the righteous doth sing and rejoice. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. Now, let's look at Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. 
You see, Daniel noted that flattery would be a tool of the wicked world ruler. And this is what he had to say. Verse 32 says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And then Jude defined flattery as being something ungodly. Verse 16, this is what Jude said. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves. Sensual. Having not the spirit. Let me tell you tonight, without reservation, you cannot have the Lord and the world too. You cannot serve your flesh and the flesh of men and serve God too. You're going to have to make up your mind what you're going to be faithful to and who you're going to be faithful to but you can't split. I said you can't split your faithfulness. The Word of God said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He said, He that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Please hear me when I tell you. I understand God wants the world to come to the church. But God doesn't want the world in the church. You see, if we get this right, I said if we get it right, when we get in the presence of the Lord and we become faithful to God, He'll strip every bit of the world out of us and put the world of His kingdom in us. You be seated. Here's where we need the holiness that comes through instruction. Look at your neighbor and tell them, guard your tongue. That felt strange, didn't it? One of the things that the Psalms speaks, this psalm speaks to us of 
is betrayal that comes through deception. Now I know where I'm going tonight. David is writing and hinting at the fact that flattery and deception and double tongues and double hearts are out to destroy the faithful. I, I want to I get a little something here for your understanding before we move forward. Before moving into that psalm itself, I want you to look to a word in the superscription. Put that first verse up there for me if you could, please, of my beginning text of Psalm 12. 12 and 1. I want you to look at it. It is written to the chief musician upon Shimoneth. I don't know why that's not there, but to the chief musician upon Shimoneth, a psalm of David. Now that's very important here. The word is also found in the superscription of Psalm 6, Shemineth, there's another reference to it in 1 Chronicles 15.21. It's where David is getting everything ready for the Ark of the Covenant to return back to the people of God. And he's assigning different people to levels of worship. And giving them responsibility so that the glory of God can return to where it needs to be. And he wants them to understand it won't get there on its own and it won't remain there on its own until we understand that we all have a responsibility to keep it there. Because it is attached to 1 Chronicles, we find that there is an order of worship. Its literal meaning is the eighth division. These were apparently those men who were literally a cut above the rest of those who were involved in the worship procession and service. Now, whether or not we're comfortable to make that analogy, there are still people that fill that same role of being worshipers of a higher calling and a higher devotion. The memorial of worship from Mary and her alabaster box is a New Testament example of the behavior 
that separates the classes of worshipers from the general to those who are highly devoted to the Lord. In Psalm 6 and 12, chapter 6 and chapter 12, there are some unique connections to when we need worshipers who are a cut above the rest of the crowd. Psalm 6 dealt with the conscience that had been so troubled by sin and the need of confession to set it right. Now David is making his appeal in another situation. David is experiencing a moment where it seems like that the faithful, the holy, the righteous, the elect are nowhere to be found and he longs for the eighth division of worshipers to show up. There's something very powerful that happens when you engage the eighth division of worshipers. It falls into two categories that they can usher in with their worship. And it is repentance and revival. Increasingly, the sinful culture of society and sophisticated culture of the sanctuary is doing its best to squeeze the life out of holy and devoted worshipers. That need not be so among us. What are you saying, Bishop? Let me just put it this way. If you have a desire to have a life of half-hearted devotion, that's a personal choice. But please, don't attempt to scorn the devotion of the eighth division of true worshipers. Because their presence fights against sin and the vanishing presence of the faithful. What are you saying, Bishop? I'm trying to tell you we need to get back to holy rolling. Come on. We need to get back to dancing in the aisles. We need to get back to running the aisles. We need to get back to being slain in the spirit. Come on. They're trying to silence us. They're trying to quiet us down. You need to be more sophisticated. I say no. I say you need to be more faithful. God's looking for some eight degree worshipers that'll say the only thing we're interested in is ushering in repentance and revival. The only thing we want to do 
is move out of the way and worship him in spirit and in truth and let revival and repentance have its way. Come on, somebody. Would you dare to rise up in this generation of compromise? Would you dare to rise up and say, I'm not going to let them silence my praise. I'm not going to let them stop my worship. be seated just in passing most scholars feel like this group was made up of men you know I've done a lot of traveling preached in a lot of churches and I'm sad to tell you well I'm not sad shouldn't say it that way but I report to you that in most churches it's not the men that are doing the worshiping It's not the men that are doing the praying. It's not the men that are doing the soul winning. I know I'm walking in dangerous territory. But I want to tell you something right now. It's time for the men of the apostolic movement to arise once again and say we're not content to let somebody do my worship for me. I'm going to do what I can Come on, we can't be lazy worshipers anymore. We can't be lazy apostolics anymore. God is calling on men to rise up and worship Him. If we're going to preserve the faithful, if we're going to preserve repentance, if we're going to preserve revival, somebody's got to rise up and say, I'll be a worshiper. You may be seated. There was another corresponding division made up of women. We see that in the previous verse in 1 Chronicles 15 and 20. They're called the Alamoth. And they're mentioned in Psalm 46, which is associated with refuge. Further, it noted that these women were those who played the timbrels. The context of 1 Chronicles 15 is when the Ark of the Covenant was being taken from the house of Obedidim to go back to Jerusalem. Three groups of worshipers were involved in escorting it back to Zion. The Levites, the Shemanith, and the Alamoth. The same group still needs to be in the presence of the modern day apostolic church. Those who bear the word and those in the special eighth division worshipers. psalm is one that falls into the category of a prayer that prayer is speaking specifically 
for deliverance from deception. Those that speak vanity, flattering lips, and a double heart. That same prayer needs to be prayed in this place. Much of the deception that makes it, listen to me, into our minds is through the voices from the outside that are not submitted to a scriptural filter nor any discerning of the spirits. We need those elements in our lives. David said the man of God is gone from the earth. Here's some questions I'd like for you to consider. You might say tonight, Bishop, that will never happen. Just listen to me. What would it be like if all of a sudden those people whom you've considered as holy and godly were to disappear from your world? What would it be like to walk into this church and see groups of ungodly and unholy people? What would it be like to walk into a house of worship where you expected to hear the songs of Zion and instead they'd been replaced with country western, the top 40 secular songs, rhythm and blues, or heavy metal? Oh, that'll never happen. Don't you tell me. I see apostolics all the time that brag about going to heavy metal gospel concerts. Let me just tell you, I've been in the world and that don't mix. Fact, it don't even fit. Oh, you're just being dogmatic, Bishop. I'm trying to tell you if we don't do something to preserve the faithful, we're going to look up and we're going to be overtaken by a worldly church and a worldly people. I need somebody that will rise up and say, I'm going to be a worshiper. What would it be like? You didn't say it. What would it be like to walk into this house where there's no respect for holiness standards? There were outward displays of immodesty exposing the body. Rampant jewelry that drew attention to the person. Cosmetics that altered the face of the women. And a general uncomfortable sense of worldliness. What would it be like to walk into this church and you would expect prayer coming from the mouths of good saints of God but instead you heard coarse, uncouth, gutter language pouring out. I know some of you are saying that will never happen, Bishop. Please hear me right now. That's some idea of what David was trying to express with this psalm. He was looking for the holy. He was looking for the faithful. But the faithful had vanished. Let me read a couple other 
translations to you real quick. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Save, Jehovah, for the saintly have failed, for the steadfast have ceased from the sons of men. You want to know what David is doing? David is crying out for help. Lord, help us. Here's something we need to understand about the world and the spirit of the age. Its goal has always been to free this world of the influence of the righteous. It's a common thread all through the scripture. On the other hand, we've got to know that the godly, those that have been faithful to the Lord, were not out of the picture. You want to know why? God will always have a remnant of faithful who are devoted to Him. Elijah comes along 150 years later and would have the same difficulty. 1 Kings 19 and 10, the Bible said, and he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord responded back to him. Let me tell you something, man of God. Let me tell you something, <laughs> faithful man of God. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. What are you saying, Bishop? I'm trying to tell somebody, I know you don't think it could happen, but if somehow we don't get shaken in our spirit and understand that if anybody preserves it, it's going to have to be us. And if we don't keep our voice in the mix, if we don't keep our worship in the mix, it's more than just singing. Come on, somebody. We've got to understand something. We've got to become that eighth level worshipers that are willing to usher in and worship until revival and repentance are birthed. There are times... We can have the same mentality and think the faithful have vanished. But God always has someone who's willing to make the challenging commitments to do his will. David felt like the man of God had left the earth. A man of guile 
is great in the earth, he said. Just like he thought the man of God had left, he knew the man of guile was great. All of this we gather from David's description of these people. You see, the wicked disobey God with their tongues. They gain power through flattery and deception and wicked schemes. Look at verse 24. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. James paints a picture of what these people look like too. In James chapter 3 and verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. They use their tongues to work with guile. Their tongues are sly. They make it look like it's the same, but it's only a fake. Their words are shrewd, and there's a willingness about them, a wiliness rather about them and the way they live. The enemies of righteous people, the enemy of faithful people are presented in a number of ways throughout the scripture. Power, greed, injustice, jealousy, opportunist. They'll tell you it's okay to do what you do. Just come over here. You don't have to live like that. Just come over here. And about that time, God needs to sin. An eighth degree worshiper. That says, wait just a minute. There needs to be revival. And there needs to be repentance in the house of the Lord. And the only way to produce that is for me to understand my worship is what's going to make the difference whether or not the faithful survive or the faithful die. I know we're supposed to run the aisles on Sunday night. But I want you to hear me right now. I wonder what David could have had specifically in his mind when he was writing this song. 
He could have been thinking about the deadliness of Doag and the murdered priest of Nob. He could have been thinking about the men of Ziph and Keilah who betrayed him into the hand of Saul. He could have been thinking of the outlaws surrounding him in the cave of Adullam. David was so overcome that he had no spiritual energy left in the tank. I want you to, I want you to understand something right now. The ploy of the devil is to wear us out. The ploy of the enemy is to discourage your pastor so much because he stands for what is right and he sees people around him that have silk tongues, silver tongues uh, that are proclaiming to be what they are not uh, and it seems as though they are prospering and it gets wearying and you, oh I know I'm going to be a little transparent but there are times through the years that I've sat in my office and I've asked myself, never publicly but I've asked myself personally, am I really doing what's right? And I hear the voice of God say, yes, you're doing what's right. David lost his strength to fight. In Psalm 11, the encouragement was to stay and fight. But in Psalm 12, that was all gone. All that was left in him was a pleading sense of the Spirit. Help me! Help me! Where will a church drift when the anchors of godly and righteous people are no longer there? It's a chilling question to consider. But you must never forget that God will have a remnant to serve Him. And as long as I'm breathing, there's going to be a righteous, faithful people in this city. There are times, and it is now, that it appears that holiness has fallen on hard times and difficult days. But it is still the order of the day. David said the guile of these men are all over the earth. But for all their flattery and all their deception that pours off of their tongue and through their lips, the Lord has a remedy for it. He will cut off their flattering lips and their proud tongues for the oppression of the poor for the sign of the needy now will I arise saith the Lord I will set him in safety from him that puffeth up at him the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times God says to David, no matter how bad it looked, 
I want you to understand I've still got the righteous in sight. I've still got the faithful in sight. Don't look around. Don't look down. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Look up. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Verse 5, we find that its deliverance, its greatness was defined by his prayer. Chrysostom said, fear ye whosoever ye be that do wrong the poor. You have power and wealth, the favor of the judges, but they have the strongest weapons of all, signs and groanings which fetch help from heaven for them. These weapons dig down houses, throw up foundations, overthrow whole nations. Put that in spiritual context and think of the enemies that oppose the church in the waning hours of this dispensation. Liberalism, secularism, pluralism, materialism, lukewarmness, prayerlessness, swimming in spiritual mediocrity, and a great lack of commitment. All of those enemies need to put saints on their knees in pleading prayer. And God can send a revival that will tear down the houses of the enemy, that will uproot the foundations and obliterate every spiritual stronghold oppressed and sighing that sums up the existence of some preachers and saints in this hour but it all began to turn when they cried out for the Lord to help them I believe that God is positioning this church to become the literal hiding place for the righteous. I believe that God is positioning this church to become the place where revival and repentance is prevalent. But I want you to understand tonight that if we don't guard this with everything that is within us, it can and will get away from us so quickly. I want, to, I, want to, I want to read something to you here. Truth is always the antidote for deception. The enemies of David were deceivers. Deception is one of the tools of the trade for the devil in the end time. The parable of the wheat and the tares is a graphic picture the Lord used in Matthew 13 to demonstrate it. 
The seed which implies life was sown by the devil and his workers among the wheat. Some may ask why the Lord doesn't start pulling out the dangerous tares from his wheat. He does not because it's not time yet. The devil is limited because he can't tear up the wheat because God will not let him. So the devil will do his best to tell the people that the real wheat is not really the wheat. Some may ask tonight, why does God allow that to happen? It's part of the process. I can't explain it all, but I can tell you this. On that great getting up morning, there's going to be a separation And those that have the Holy Ghost and those that are committed to the Lord and His Word, I want you to know something. It will be hard for you to be deceived. Brother Martin Ballestero wrote a blog. And in this blog, this is what he said. He said the title of the blog was You say you want to go to heaven. I'm not really convinced. He then gave a summary of what the tares of this day look like. He noted that those who are apostolic, Pentecostal, say they want to go to heaven, but their actions betray their words. Then he starts noting the characteristics of their lifestyle. And here they are. They miss church. They love sports more than they love God. They don't have a teachable spirit. They don't pay their tithes. Their prayer life is dead. They don't worship anymore. They dress like the world. They date sinners. They look at someone else and they're married. Their jobs keep them out of church. They become hateful. They become rebellious. They're in love with Hollywood. They never come to the altar anymore. They say, God knows my heart and I don't have to convince a preacher. And he concludes with this. If you're going to make it to heaven... You're going to have to change. If ever we needed a passion and hunger for the word of the Lord. It's in these days that we're living in right now. The word. Everybody say the word. The word can pull out the deception the devil throws in your direction. In the New Testament. The word deception occurs 19 times. Always in connection 
with the devil and his work. But I've got a promise tonight. I close tonight with this. David said, we've got an assurance of his word that's pure and tried and effective. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. David said, He shall preserve us forever. We've been marked. We've been scorned. We've been stigmatized all throughout history. But I've come to tell you tonight, the Lord will honor the faithful. Let them talk. Let them strut about. Let them be exalted. But keep your armor on by the Spirit. The faithful haven't vanished. But we need a revival. I said we need a revival. Some of us have become lazy in our worship. Oh, well, I'll let somebody else do it tonight. I'll let somebody else offer my praise. And all the time, the enemy is watching us. And he's saying, hmm, got him to sit down tonight. I'll work on him again the next service. And it's not very long Until nothing moves us. And we find ourselves being drawn back in to the ploy of the world. And the deception of the enemy. And we find ourselves losing ground in our walk with God. And all the time God is saying, I need somebody that will rise up because it's everyone's responsibility. You can't just pick and choose what night you want to get involved. you got to rise up and get involved because every time we gather here, we're trying to get in the presence of the Lord. Every time we get here, we're ushering in the presence of the Lord. And we've got to have repentance. We've got to have revival. Stand with me. If there's a closing note of encouragement tonight, it would be this. The faithful have not vanished. Under fire? Yes. Sometimes overwhelmed? Yes. But they've never vanished. And they will extend their days into eternity. In this place tonight, 
in my office tonight before service, I felt such an impression of the Holy Ghost that we need, an, we need a fresh anointing of worshipers in this place. There is an all-out attack. Now, look, watch me right here. I realize and understand that in every church, there are the uninvolved. I get that. It doesn't make it right, but I get it. We'd rather look at our cell phone during worship than we would worship. But this is what the, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. He said, tonight before I leave this place, I'm going to change the hearts of some people. When they walk from this sanctuary tonight, when they walk out of this house tonight, they will have moved to another level. They will have been elevated by my spirit to the eighth division of worshipers. And it will be they that I will use to usher in my presence and pour out revival and repentance. And so I'm looking for some willing vessels tonight that'll walk down that aisle, throw your hands up in the air, and say, God, I'm not ever going to worship like I have before. I'm going to worship you like a true worshiper. A true worshiper that worships you in spirit and in truth. God, I'm not going to quit worshiping until repentance and revival is ushered in every time we gather in the sanctuary. God, I want to be responsible for preserving the faithful. I want to be responsible for driving back the deceiver. For driving back those that would lure righteous people away. God, I want to be responsible for preserving them. Come on, would you worship Him right now? Would you worship Him right now?